Welcome back to another episode of Stimulate Your Mind, proudly presented to you by LOF Productions. Hello and welcome everyone. I'm your host, Ali, and I'm here with our guest, Mohammed Talab. How are you, Mohammed? Good, how are you? Not too bad, not too bad. So today we've got you in the studio just to see who you are and who you were before. So why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? My name is Mohammed Talib. I am 34. Uh, I work for Audi Centre Sydney and... Um, I'm a father to a boy, Zain Labadian, who's currently in high school. I feel very old now. And yeah, that's that's a short version of me. A short version of you. And what do, what do you do at Audi exactly? Uh, pre-delivery. Okay. So we Sounds prepare the cars and whatnot for new cars. New cars that are bought, we prepare them, get them ready for the customer. Sounds interesting. Sounds interesting. And so I've known you for about five to six years now. And we've worked together on a variety of projects and oh, done a lot of community work as well. Um, we have traveled together on multiple occasions in Australia and outside Australia as well. And yeah, basically I knew you in one certain aspect in, in a certain environment. But prior to meeting you, I think it was in maybe 2014, 15, yep. we met. It was again at a, at a community event. I didn't really know you before that. I didn't know myself. <laughs> I was still trying to find myself. I'm still trying to find myself. I think I think that's the journey of every individual. Indeed. Before we met and before we began working on these projects, what were you doing? Who were you? So prior to me meeting you, I was doing the same thing, just freelancing, like all over all over the place. Anywhere that I was asked to help out, recite, you know, if you want to say it. In, uh, so, so what exactly were you doing as a freelancer? Reciting. Reciting. Um, community work, anything, anything that helped bring the community together. So so why don't you delve into a couple of things that you worked on, a couple of things that you helped out in, in the community? Basically, it's a known thing. Every year for the past six years, 2014, I started. That's when I started reciting eulogies for Muharram in Ashura, so the 10 days. That, it's... it's so the 10 days commemorating the martyrdom of Imam Hussein, the yeah. grandson of the Holy Prophet. Yes. But the thing is, prior to that, it was just small stuff. You know, I was still getting my foot in the door, if you want to say, until we sat down once and uh, me and a friend of mine and we realized, hold on, you know, too many of my of the youth in the community, you know, go to these programs and whatnot. And most of them are Arabic. Mm-hmm. Or you know they're very bland, and I am sort of fluent in Arabic, as I lived in Lebanon prior to this for about eight years, uh, from two thousand from sorry from ninety two till two thousand. Um, so I caught on to both languages, uh, English and Arabic, and I wanted to incorporate something that helped the youth in the community. That was my main goal. To be actually to begin with, I started with the idea of helping reverts. I have a soft spot for for, for reverts and all the hard work that they do to get to where they are. You know, I I don't know if I see some part of me in them. Maybe that's why I have a soft spot, but on a sort of different scale, if you want to say. As as you said before, like we all have that journey. Yep, and. Um, <clears throat> As a born Muslim, you know we we struggle and we strive to you know be better and whatnot. You, you know you fall off the 
You fall off the wagon a bit. Yeah, wagon definitely. a bit. But yeah, so I, I think I have a soft spot for reverts and um, because of the fact that, you know, like they leave everything behind, you know, their old life and they just – they basically flip their lives around. Exactly. It's completely They're different, 180 degrees. Into a new life. Yep, definitely. And they struggle. You know, it's not, it's not easy. Mm. We all do. But them on another level, you know, they, everything that they know, everything that they believe, everything that they, every person that they know, it changes the dynamic of, of, their, of their life. So, yeah, I had, that's where the path started, basically, of, if you want to say, redemption path to redemption and yeah i wanted to bring something to the english-speaking audience and the youth as well who aren't very fluent in arabic and for them to listen to something and understand it you know people go every year and they go to these events they listen you know a lot of them don't understand what's going on so i wanted to bring that that aspect to them. But the thing is, in the style that I know, which is known worldwide, the Arabic style. Mm-hmm. So I basically incorporated how it's done in the in Arabic language or in Arab countries and mixed it with English <clears throat> with a bit of poetry and, you know, storytelling, but sort of the same flow. So basically you just introduced a new style of reciting into the community in Australia. Yeah, in English. Yeah. So, and it it helped a lot. You know, every year we tweak, you know, try to make it better. And ever since then, it, it, it's, it's been really good, really productive. So there has been success from, from that, new, that new style. Definitely, definitely. And have you seen any um, <clears throat> big success stories from that? Not for you personally, but from other people. Yeah, of course. Because, you know, a, a lot of respected people like, you know, reciters that are originally, you know, Arabic uh, speaking that come from overseas, that come here, you know, they realise that there's a lot of youth mm. and we're the majority. And they realise like, man, Arabic's not really... It's just not cutting it. It's not cutting it for me here. Because I'm not saying about like audience size, it's just they as well, like all these other reciters and, and scholars want to reach the youth. It's been a it's been a goal for years now, so so yeah they they you know they ask for help in that aspect of like the, the reciting and the writing of the English majlis and stuff like that the eulogies yep. if you want to say and um, yeah and I have no problem you know helping them out and maybe they like I, I remember um, a good friend of mine took some of the stuff that I've written and he used it in another country actually in Canada but didn't use my sort of rhythm, he used his own. Yeah. And it worked beautifully. So yeah, you know, like we you can we can all work off each other like the base spread this. Definitely. You know, this style. Because it, it seems to be working. We can see from you know, you've experienced you know, from the crowds. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And um I want to look into more of the success or lack of success maybe. So what kind of uh feedback have you gotten from the community, from the crowds, from the people, not just the positive, but the negative as well. To be honest, um, I haven't really heard anything negative. When when it comes to that specific thing that we're talking about, yeah, the yeah. U- English eulogies, because 
at the end of the day, it's we sort of created it. Yep. So we can do whatever we want with it. So you know? can mold it in whichever exactly. way you want. Yeah. So it's not like someone else did it and then, you know, we did it and then like, oh, um, why isn't one, it like that? Yeah, their one doesn't sound like that, you know? Yeah. So it's whatever we we sort of, like, as I said, we tweak it every year, you know, maybe, maybe like there's something like, oh, why don't you delve into this? That's that, that's the only probably thing that I've heard um, is that someone says like, oh, why don't you speak about this or this person or um, this incident? And then we find it, as I said, we tweak it, and then the year after or whatever, you know, You've been with me when when we've written. Yeah, so it's just about adding new content every new content. year, just on, on based off the feedback of the crowds. But people don't need to understand that the story doesn't change. Yeah, the story definitely the story remains the same. It's just the, the poetry, the poetry, and the the, uh, the style of poetry yeah, exactly. changes one hundred percent. And which makes it that's what a lot of I don't I don't want to ruin it because it's like the secret, you know, trick of the trade. Yeah, yeah. But it's your own herbs and spices. Yeah, realistically, it's honestly the story doesn't change. The only thing that changes is the poetry surrounding the story. Yeah, and explaining the think, story. Yep. Every year people think, oh, this is a new written, you know, eulogy or like a story. But it's well, not. When it's not necessarily. It's just an, exactly. a, new, a new poem, for example. Yeah. Exactly. And it's very important that when you're speaking about something that, you know, historically actually happened, you and then you add, you know, the spices, as you said, you have to mention. So there, there needs to be a clear differentiation exactly. between the, the facts an and the fiction. Yeah. This is an imaginary conversation, or this. If if this conversation happened, maybe it would sound like this. Yeah. So you, usually, it's people know because they know the base, they know the story as is. Like we've been doing it for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So we have the foundation. We exactly. just uh, add a bit more to grab the emotions of exactly. the listener. But what we want to grab more is not the emotion. We don't. We're not here to make you. You know, that's all we want from you like, to make you cry. Mm. We want you to learn something. Yep. Use it. Take it home. So apply apply those apply things. it to yep. to your life because at the end of the day it is university that these ten days or whatever incidents that happen or over the year you know through the year when we speak about these things it's it's a, they're all lessons you know that we should take from these you know holy figures. So what's one lesson you've taken from the ten days commemorating the martyrdom of Imam Hussein? Just one lesson that you may have taken over, let's say, the past. Five years. Trust and contentment. In what specifically? In the path. The righteous path. So you want to elaborate a bit on that on that path? You want to get into it? Just maybe just mention what aspects that so of trust and contentment in this path that you have taken yourself personally in your life. Okay. Personally I can say that, you know, we all go through hardships and I have been through it. And the best thing, and I always emphasize on this certain figure, mm. all right, is that with all the hardships and, you know, it's female. I'm not even talking male. Okay. With all the hardships that piled on her and then she's asked the question, like, oh, how do you see it? How do you see what happened to you? And her reply is, you know, I see, I saw nothing but beauty. I see nothing but beauty. So she understood her stance. She understood the stance that her brother took. She understood the whole incident, the whole tragedy. And from all that tragedy, she saw beauty. So at the end of the day, we know in our in our creed that, you know, um, God tests 
the believer, you know, and I, I have it as literally as a foundation. Whenever anything happens, bad happens to me, you know, if it's always going good for me, something's wrong. Yeah, there's right. something wrong. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> something's wrong. So it's normal. Mm. We're, we're all tested at the end of the day. You know, when you go, when you go to school, you're tested. And, and the same thing with life. Yeah, it's stressful. You know, exams are stressful. You know, HSC, uh, university, essays, exams, stuff like that. They're, they're all stressful. Mm. Same as life. All right, but you get through it. Yeah. So that trust and contentment is in the will of God, and of course, basically the path that you've chosen to take in your life. Of course, I didn't want to get into religion, but yeah, no, definitely, definitely. But at the end of the day, I can't escape it. No, hundred percent. It's part it's and parcel of part your of life. Me. It's part and parcel of your life. Yeah. So I just want to go back to something you mentioned at the start about the path to redemption. So has that ever been an aspect of your life? Have you ever had to find a path towards some sort of redemption in your life? Yeah, and I'm still trying to find it. <laughs> okay, so let's let's delve into that a bit. Okay, are we going back? Are we going? Are we in the same position? <laughs> so let's go back. Prior to 2014, I think you said was when you entered the the community scene. Why don't we go from the start? I'll tell you from the start. I grew up in a in a very loving family. Very caring. We always did everything. And we're a big family. Well, I got five sisters and one brother, and we always did things as a family. Mm. No matter how hard it got for my father, he always made time, and he he was busy, you know, um, long shifts and whatnot. He always made time for his whole family, and we go on trips and whatnot. And, you know, family stuff. Mm. So, my father laid the foundation for that, and that basically was engraved in us, all of us, as as kids. So we always saw it. We always looked back. No matter how hard things got in the future, we always looked back on that. Like, but you know what? Our parents did a lot for us. <clears throat> and this is what I want, like, the listeners or whoever to, to understand um, because we have a lot of this conflict these days and they don't understand because also they're still young. And I, I was there. We were all there as children. You know, your father tells you, don't do this, or your mother tells you, don't do this. And you're like, you don't know anything. Mm. You're you, I'm me, but they're doing it for your good. You know, when you grow up, you understand. I have a son now, and I understand. I look back the other day, I was sitting with my father, and I was saying, I was saying to him, man, now I really understand when you used to tell me, tomorrow you'll see. Yeah. You'll get there. You'll understand why I said this, why I told you this, and why I did this. And I do. And I'm actually thankful for all the hardships and if you want to call it hardships and all the trials or all the, all the things in my past, no matter how bad they got. Because at, the the, at the end of the day, it shapes you. But that's the thing. It's the mindset that you use in that journey to, to make you. Some people take it the wrong way and it shapes them in a bad way. But the mindset that I used, even, no matter how hard it got, yeah, on the on, on the journey that I had, it was hard. It wasn't it wasn't easy. It was mentally stressful, emotionally stressful. And later on, like it took time, but I realized, like I look back and I'm like, wow, you know, it's a, I'm thankful for the trials, for the hardships, for the buildings. Yeah, because it, it, it made me a better person. It made, now it makes me understand why, you know. So we grew up in 
a loving family. We used to do everything together. And then my father, we, we used to live in Australia. So I was born in Australia. And my father realized, you know what, I don't want my children to grow up in a Western environment. So packed up, moved overseas to Lebanon. In 92, went to school there. It was a bit hard for me. So that's one thing. I got there. I was, you know, I was the outsider. I was teased. Yeah, even though your your background is Lebanese. Yeah, that's right. You know, I'm the outsider. Because yeah. oh. you yeah. had come from Australia and you're, you you're more westernized. And, yeah. Yep, definitely. You don't know how to speak Arabic and it was hard. Like I had to get, you know, I had to study twice as hard. As every other to student. To get to the level. It took me a few years, but I got there and I excelled. And then by year nine, which was uh, basically the school certificate there, my father realized, you know what? It's getting very Western here. Let's just go back. And life was hard there, you know. Let's go back. So packed up, came back here. When I came back here, because I was I was in a private school over there, Islamic school, I didn't see the outside world. You know, I was very preserved, you know, um, from school, home, home school, that's it. You know, few, a couple cousins, a couple friends, you know, mucking around, playing soccer. That's, that was my life. Nothing else. So I hadn't seen the reality of the world yet. So there was no outside influence. No. It was just your family, your That's school, it. and what you knew. That's, That's it. it. Yep. So when I came here, it was a big shock. It was a bombshell. You know, went to school. Yeah, I started school in year 10. I remember it was Hurstful Boys. I looked around and I'm like, what the hell? You know, what is going on? And I'm like, this is... It was a big shock to me. So in 92, you didn't fit in in Lebanon because you were too westernized. And now you, you come back. I'm back here. I don't fit And here. you don't fit in because you're this, too eastern. You know, religious. Oh, mind you, I was, uh, you know, got on competitions in Lebanon and all that stuff. And yeah, um, we got back here and I was like shocked. It's like I never saw the development of a certain country. It's like, oh, we'd always get pulled out you know, before the big, big bang. Mm. Then I came here and it was a big shock to me. I came and I'm looking around and mind you, all Muslim mates around me. And it was just completely different. Like the things that our community saw as normal were not normal at all. Like they became desensitized to these things. And because, you know, obviously living in a Western world, Things that were normal to them were not normal to me. So they had become normalized because they were in the West. Yeah, and they weren't normal to me because I wasn't. I didn't. I hadn't seen the outside. You hadn't world experienced the West yet at all. And um, yeah, so I, then slowly, slowly, all this stuff sort of crashed on me. And because of that shock, and I'm trying to fit in, you know. And as we are here, everyone knows. Like when you try to fit in, you know peer pressure and I, I'm not um I'm not easy I'm not easily influenced by peer pressure but you know there's there's a limit to things. You get sucked into certain groups, yeah, certain I have, activities. I had yep. to I had to keep up. You wanted to fit in with everyone I else. I had to yeah. keep up. Because at the end of the day you did, you felt like you didn't belong. Yeah. I didn't I'm not saying like I you know I was going around doing drugs and stuff like that. It's it's just, you know, I had to keep up with the, you know, music and the culture and going out and 
hanging out and just swearing. I had, mind you, I had never sworn prior to me coming here. Mm. I think I did it once when I was probably about 13 and it was a joke. Cop the biggest belting. Never did it again. Mm. It was one word, mind you. So when I saw it, it was like in the sentence there had to be cursing. Yeah, yeah. it was so normal that it was part and parcel exactly. of every sentence. So basically what would happen was you had become ingrained in the typical Sydney teenage male life. Exactly. And it was a massive shock because I'm not used to it. I'm, I didn't grow up in that environment. I didn't grow up in either environment. Yeah. Like when I was just hitting, you know, my teenage years, puberty and whatnot. I you were sucked Lebanon. out of the, the Western life yeah. and into the East, uh, sorry, Eastern life and into the Western life. Yeah. So I remember b- before I came, I had one last exam, which was the like school certificate in, in Lebanon. So they take you from your school to a random school. And we're in Islamic school, you know, like hardcore. We're, you know, boys can't be with girls, completely separate buildings. And then they take us on a bus, all boys, rowdy, you know, all jokers, and chuck us in a school full of, you know, you had like a Catholic school and all mixed and we were like, whoa, step back. Like you didn't even know that existed at that point. <laughs> I don't think I saw a scarf in sight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was a big shock to all of us. And that's when it just all started creeping, you know, creeping in slowly. But I was sucked out of that just before. But then I was thrown in something worse. Mm. Worse, worse in, in what perspective though? Environment-wise. Like all this, all the the typical teenage things that you do. Yeah. Falling off the path, mm. you know, the righteous path. Yeah. Yeah, and I, year 10, year 11, year 12. And through those years, academically, I started caring less. You know, it wasn't my goal anymore. In Lebanon, like every year was like a must for me to come first. Yeah. Here, because of all this, you know, lifestyle. You were preoccupied change, with everything else exactly. that your academic preoccupied life. Preoccupied with trying to keep up with the lifestyle that I left my education just behind. Like I, 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 could, I couldn't care less, mm. which was a big problem. And it was a big shock to my parents because, you know, like I was always first and always competing and I'd come home. I'm like, oh, I came first this year, you know. Mm. I came first this month. I competed with this guy and we were on par and then I beat him. And then I'd just come here and I'm like, ah, oh, whatever. Mind you, the, um, what, I, what I was studying here – in year 12 was like, you know, we were learning it in year eight over there. So it's like I just, you know, pulled up a chair and just kicked back and didn't care. By year 12, it's like whatever. And my father was all about education because because of my father's past. He didn't want us to, you know, um, lose that because he didn't have the chance. He wanted us to have that chance. So he done everything in his power you know, yeah, he's the typical, I want 99.9 in your HSC, in your marks, always, but because of what he went through. He didn't want us to go through the same thing that he went through. Mm. And he struggled, you know, orphaned and then thrown in an orphanage and hard life, you know. They went through famine and uh, locusts and all that stuff and war. So, yeah, it was it was tough on him and he didn't want that for us. He wanted something better for us. And that's why he brought us back here. 
But that's the problem. My the elders, and with all due respect to my my parents and whatnot, they they're still stuck in the past. Especially like you know a, a lot of a lot of families in the community, a lot of parents in the community, they're still stuck in the past. They're not keeping up with with the times. And I'm I'm not talking about uh, religiously, culturally. It's like no, this is how it is. It's not how it is. The world changes. Yeah. So the the cultural mentality has remained the same. Yeah, man. You. Things change every week. There's a new trend every week now. You know, stupid trends on TikTok and whatever, I don't, all that stuff. Yeah. Every week, things change quick. Like every year is not the same anymore. Yeah, like we're barely keeping up. So. Exactly. Like you're telling me life is the same as it was 10 years ago? Hell no. It's barely the same as it was two years ago. So. Damn millennials. <laughs> But yeah. Um, yeah, it was just rough, man. And then after that, it's just I lost myself. That's the point where I just I was lost. Can you put a Can you put a year on that? What year was that? It was the year two thousand and one, two thousand and two, two thousand two. So twelve years before actually entering the community. Two thousand and two. Mind you, at that stage, even when I was here, I had never, you know, I knew about Alzara Mosque because my dad, back in the days, you know, um, used to be part of it and. You know, I knew about these centers, but I never entered them. It just wasn't my thing at that time. And mind, that's what I'm saying. Like, even though I was like in, in the community in Lebanon, and I was in the Islamic school, done Quran studies and whatnot. <clears throat> the problem here, deep down, I loved music. Mm. I loved music. Like, you don't understand <laughs> beyond what your mind can fathom. Like, it was actually. Addictive to me like heroin, mm. that bad. So it was it was just simmering slowly, slowly, slowly from from overseas to you know because yeah, we throw a song in here and there over there, even in Lebanon, you know, no one's listening or the parents when the parents were out, you know, what we didn't do, what we didn't know, what was is that we were actually harming ourselves. So you're setting yourself up for ultimate failure, exactly. That's the problem that a lot of the youth don't understand is like how, how bad it is. <clears throat> yeah, and it just simmered slowly. And through those years, you know, high school, and then that's how harsh my father was. He made me repeat year 12 with the, <laughs> with the same people that were a year below me. So it was a bit awkward. Mm-hmm. Same school. So and, again, you, know, you were put in a situation where you didn't fit in. Exactly. And forced. That's how harsh my dad is on, like, on education. That's how, like, he emphasized on education. Um, but yeah, it was embarrassing because it's like, at, at, also at that time, like, it's my dad's like, it's my way or the highway. You know, that's how it was with him. He comes from a place in Lebanon as well. They're a bit hard-headed. Yep. Balbak. Uh, <laughs> um, and. With with that, it's it's like you know I go to him. All right, it's, let me at least you know do it in TAFE, you know, or no, you do it in the same place, or you're not doing it at all, or you're out of my house. That's how my father was. No ifs, no buts. Damn, and that's the problem also as well. Like I had, I did have a weak character at that stage. I was very soft, and I was easily influenced at that stage. And I, when I say easily influenced it by my parents, yep. you know, like if my parents say like, this is how you do. And if you don't do it, you're out of the house. 
I'd start thinking about it and it would just eat my mind. So you just agreed and went ahead with what they yeah, wanted. I'm like, man, I need to stand up for myself. I need to know. If These I do are that, my parents. If I do that, my dad's going to kick me out. I have nowhere to go. You know, I don't even have a job. Uh, so all these things would start clashing in my head and then I'm just, I just like give up. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Not willingly. Mm. And then, yeah, done you 12. I wasn't that bad, like in the 70s. Yeah. Then I was I was into science. So I was doing medical uh medical science and whatnot. And then um and I was a homeboy. I was a homeboy. Never went out. Even those stages. Like I, I never really associated with many people. Never went to any centers, any mosques, any hangouts. I was always at home. Home, wherever my parents went. I wasn't even allowed to get my license till I was like eighteen. And uh, slowly, slowly, it just it just ate me up from the inside. And my parents are like, you know what? You're always at home and, you know, you've never been with a girl before, whatever. Let's go get you engaged. I was 18. Mm. Again, I was like, yeah, okay. Let's do it. Went overseas. Went around. Found a girl. I was okay. <laughs> I can't say anything bad about her. Honestly, she's an amazing person. I I, I won't say anything bad about her. It was just, it was just me. Yeah. I know it's it's cliche and you hear it a lot. It's like oh, it's not you. It's me. It was me. No, but you can see it. You had never really mingled with yeah. anyone. You I never went I out. Know. There was social isolation, and I didn't know what love was. I didn't know what you know. You never know. understood that side of life. Hundred percent. Nothing. So yeah, I just went with it. My mom's like, "Oh, she's good." Okay, no worries. You know, and then when I came back here, I don't know, something just broke in me. It just, it became chaotic. And then I started, all of a sudden, I just started going out. I got my license, started going out, started meeting new people, not the best of people, you know, going, coming, going to, you know, the morning. and It's just, it took me away and I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do this. I don't want this engagement. I don't want anything to do with that. Life. You, had, you had found a new life after coming back. Yeah. I'm like, I want to live what I've been, you know, live the life that I've been missing. missing. Yeah. Well, or I thought that I was missing the life, the, the, the whole, you know. <laughs> the going out, the cars, the, yeah. the girls, and the, everything. All that stuff. Yeah. And again, that was another shock to me. Because I had never experienced it before and it just you know, hit you all at once and you're like, yep, once. let's go with it. Yeah. As, that's what I'm saying. Yep, no worries. And as I said, I'm not easily um, pressured into things, but it's just something was broken. And whatever, someone's like, oh, let's go do this. Okay, let's go. <clears throat> let's go out till, you know, three, four o'clock in the morning. Okay, let's do it. Again, never just a, a disclaimer. <laughs> Never in my life have I touched alcohol mm. or drugs, just to let you know. So that, that was a line for you. That's why I'm saying I'm not easily peer pressured. Mind you, all the people around me were doing drugs and were you know, drinking alcohol and whatnot. Never once did I even think about it because remember back what I said, my father set that foundation. There was, there was already a foundation yeah. there. That- that's right, that's wrong. So I knew what was right and wrong, but the basics. Yeah. Just like 
you know, a lot of us are these days. Like, oh, I don't drink, I don't eat pork, you know, but, you know, I, I listen to music. It's not that bad. Mm. That's the problem is that fair enough. I had a foundation, but it wasn't good enough. It was still shaky. Yeah, you hadn't built on that foundation. Exactly. So I'm still building the house. I'm still building it, built brick by brick. Yeah. It was still nothing now. It was rubble. It was just the first <laughs> concrete slab. Exactly. And it was cracked too. Yeah. <laughs> just like me. Um, yeah, but all this started coming all at once. And then you know, out, 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 drive. And the thing is, if I tell you, like if I go back to what I said, and my father said, oh, no, you're not allowed to get your license, you know, because you, you forget about your education and you start driving and leaving and going and coming. I don't want that. That's why I wasn't allowed to get my license. I didn't realize it too late. It's like, you know what? Again, my dad was right. Because you ended up doing exactly, exactly the things what he said. said yeah. I would do. And yeah, it just dragged on. And the problem here is I dragged someone with me. I dragged someone down with me in my broken state. So my fiance at the time came here. My parents brought her here. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Mind you, this is how broken I was. My, like inside, mind, again, I told you, like I was very soft, very caring person. But at that point, something was broken in me. I had no emotion. And most of it was because of what? What I was talking about, that heroin addiction, Mm. not drugs. The music. The music, that lifestyle. Everything that I was listening to was becoming embedded in my my core. Mm. So, you know, all this stuff's happening around me and I didn't care. I had no care. So what kind of music were you listening to? <laughs> listening or, mu- or music that I was singing. So there's the, there's the other side of you that we don't know about. <laughs> um, you know, whatever. Man, I was into everything. Country, <laughs> R&B, rock music, jazz music, any, anything. Rap music. That was probably the worst, worst influence. Um, so, so now you actually understand where those influences came oh, from, course. what kinds of music, and what exactly we were listening to. Of course, it's psychologically proven. You know what music does to you, mm. calms you, it puts you in a state. You know, let's say someone goes now and wants to, I don't know, shoot up a place. Mm. They're not going to listen to classical music on the way there. You know what I mean? Yeah, it 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 plays a role. I'm not saying it. The, You'll reach that eventual yeah. state of complete damnation. But they but, need that that pump. Yep. And yeah, it was. It just got worse and worse. And I dragged someone with me, and that was a big no no for me. And uh, no matter how much I tried to fix it, it just because I was broken, it would have never worked. Like it never worked. I had a son. I was okay for a short period of time, mm. but still. I wasn't all there. So at that point, did you ever once think, okay, I need help? Or was it like a, a realization afterwards, looking back in hindsight, that you're like, okay, maybe I should have sought help at that time, but yeah, I did it because I didn't actually realize that I needed help. Yeah, I did, but the problem is, again, going back to our elders, our court, like, if I say something like, oh, no, no, go. You don't need help. Mm. You need to wake up to yourself. Mm. Come on. So yeah. was that what was stopping you and just kept you on that path? Yeah, like, you know I, what? If, again, even if that I tried. weakness that I was talking about, you know, like, oh, my parents said this. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, I'll just do it. Mm. There's, there was that fear of if I say something, because it did happen. I said something once and they're like, shut up. You know, be quiet. Go do what you, you're supposed to do. 
This mm. is what you're supposed to do. This is what you're meant to do. So I'm like, okay. So did you ever seek external help from your family? No. Because at, at the end of the day, we're, we're still going back to this old school mentality. So basically that same mentality was ingrained in you as well. Exactly. Like don't seek help from the outside. You have your family, stick to them. Exactly. I didn't want to, I didn't want to put a title on it, but it was some sort of depression, anxiety. So there was some sort of trauma there. Mental state. Yeah. My mental state, it was broken, man. Mm. But I didn't, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you like this no disrespect at all to my family because they, they don't know, mm. all right? And again, you can't blame them for not knowing, Again, of my parents, my, they're very conservative. They're very, very religious. They, they don't really see that outside world. They don't, they don't really go out there, you know? So they don't really know what's going on and how the world is evolving. Yeah. And not in a good way. We're in it, you know, every single day. Yeah, yeah. We experience our work at university. Exactly. So you see it all around and that's a problem. I got sucked into it. Mm. And we all do. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that no one's perfect at the end of the day. You, everyone has those phases. Yeah. But it's, it's how you flip it and come out of it is, is what matters. So why don't you tell us how you got out of it? What was it that made you get out of it? Or what, what kind of switch flipped in you? And you're like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. So the other the other night you were speaking with um, Ali and you guys were talking about true happiness. Mm. One I thought my true happiness was being you know a singer. Yeah, I, I, I I'm telling you, I loved music. I didn't want to be like a you know a millionaire. I just yeah. loved music. Like I thought that chasing that dream, that actually that mirage, mm. if you want to call it, yeah. was happiness. It wasn't because I chased it, I got it, and I still felt empty. It didn't help me at all. It mm. didn't didn't do nothing at all because something was still missing. Something that I had a long time ago was missing. And mind you, at that stage, I was very cold. I became a completely different person. As in like before, I was very respectful, you know, to, to everyone. At that stage, I didn't care who got hurt, you know, whatever. It was just numbness. Mm. Fast forward, um, the short music career and recording, and and I, I, I met a guy. I used to record music at his studio. Beautiful guy. I think I remember the turning point was it, it was. There's no coincidence. Yeah, of course. Okay, the turning point was a friend of my brother's wanted to do a play about second imam. Imam al-Hassan, and he had been trying for years and it just kept falling through. And at that time, finally got his crew together. He needed one more person. Mm. And at, I'm telling you, at still till that, it was like probably 2010, around 2010, he still, I still had not entered a mosque. My, I remember my cousin used to tell me, like, oh, you know, Sheikh, this is speaking here. Uh, let's go. I'm like, nah, I don't do that. It it's wasn't funny, your it's scene. Funny, it's funny coming from me. Yeah, it wasn't your scene. It's funny coming from someone like me who, who does what I do now. Yeah. It's like I'm telling you back then I'm, I would not enter a mosque or a center or a whatever. I, I couldn't care less for that. And he wanted one more character. One more character. And mind you, the character was uh, 
was not the best of people. Mm. <laughs> I think it was Sir John. Okay. Muawiyah's uh, advisor. Um, so he kept calling me and calling me and calling me. It's like, oh, you know, come down, please. I'm like, nah, man. I don't want anything to do with anything religious. Leave me alone. So he kept nagging me and begging me about it. I was like, please come down. Just, just one line. Mm. Just do one line. And that's it. I'm like, all right. I'm just coming to do one line and I wanted to butcher it on purpose. Yeah, so that they wouldn't call you back. Yeah. Come in, I think there was another guy, you know, big, you know, this guy looked like a supermodel. Mm. His name is Simon. He was playing, sorry, he. I was I was supposed to, yeah, I was supposed to do so John, he was doing Mawia. And I walk in, I'm like, all right, give me the script. Where, where is it? I look at the script, I'm like, eh, it's got a few words. Like, literally introductions, like, welcome the emperor, blah, blah, blah. It's pretty easy. So I start doing it. I'm like, oh, welcome. My voice is, as you can tell, it's a bit deep. It's a deep voice. Not yeah. when I'm singing. Um, I sound completely different. I sound like Barry White now. Um, so he's like, you know what? It's it's just that evilness in it. Mm. He goes, please, can you do me one favor? I'm like, what is it? He goes, flip the script. You play Moawia just for the one line. I just want to see something. What I didn't know, he was playing me. Flip the script. I start reading Maui's lines. He's like, you're Maui. Done. I'm like, no, 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 no. Okay, bro, there's a lot of lines. I'm not learning these lines. That's it. You're him. I was stuck. Mm. I don't know why I felt like I was stuck. Like I could have yeah. just thrown you it You could have just face. walked away. Yeah. I don't know. And then I literally, I remember the first rehearsal, I dragged myself. I walked in there, Ali, and I looked around. Mind you, these are all from these – People that were there were all from the community and they all knew each other. They were having chats. I walked in. I was the biggest stranger again. So once again, you're the outsider. Outsider. Don't fit in. It's, because, it seems to be repetitive in your life. Yeah, a lot of people knew my brother. But they didn't he had know a lot he of had friends. a brother. He did it, they didn't know he had a brother because I was that disconnected from our community. I, I lived in like Belmore. I was very far away. I never have had any friends from that community at mm. all. I think my Facebook as well back then was like all people that were, you know, non-Muslim or, you know, from this area. Mm. So I walked in, I'm like, man, who are these people? And they're looking at me like, who the hell is this guy? Walked in, whatever. I struck a friendship with Simon because mm. he's also like that. He's not really in the community. Um, he's a den- dentist now. So he, while he was rehearsing, he was studying his dentistry degree. And, um, yeah, we struck a friendship. Because we sort of on the we were sort of on the same wavelength, you know, and yeah, it just developed. And I remember the production happened, and it was just before the thing. I was coming down. I think my my parents were, you know, I was having a rough time with my parents at that stage still, because they were very angry about my um, divorce. Um, and again, like my divorce at that time was sort of a mutual agreement. Because we we both felt like it was going nowhere, mm. and there was no enmity between us. That's that's the beauty of it, and we both agreed. You know, like we'll raise our son, you know, in the right way. That's what I'm saying. I can't say anything wrong about her. It was all. So in a way, it was a silver lining. It was literally all me, mm. if you want to say. I can't fault her at all. Um, but at that stage, I'm telling you that my, my my mind was completely. It's not where it is today. Yeah. Um, shattered. Like I was a diff- completely different person. 
Um, so yeah, we both decided to go our separate ways. And I remember the uh, I was my parents were very angry with me for years. Yeah, sorry, I've taken a lot of time. Uh, and um, I remember walking down the stairs, and I'm telling my mom, oh, I'm, "I'm in a play, blah blah." blah. You're gonna come? She's like, oh, "Who are you playing?" I go, "Maui." She goes, "Oh yeah, the role suits you." Mm. So that's when I like started thinking, like, "Man, is that really what my mom thinks of me?" And it just it just lingered. And uh, fast forward, the play was a massive success, and people from the community started sort of associating with me, adding me on Facebook and whatnot. And, we started talking. Then I started joining the people that were in the play. Mm. I met some beautiful people and then we we're friends till this day, like really close. And yeah, I literally disassociated. That's when I'm like, man, I just feel like I'm home now. So you finally felt like you belonged. Exactly. I met a group of people and I just fit like a, like a piece of the puzzle. Mm. And literally disassociated myself from my old life my old friends, um, that old lifestyle, started hanging out with these guys every day. And then I, I literally, I was hungry. Started reading, get-togethers, always talking, you know, religion. I was a bit shaky at the start. I'm like, man, this is boring. Mm. But then it just, I don't know, it just started. It became like a new type of drug. That's it. New type of drug, Exactly. Literally, honestly, the hardest thing I ever experienced, and I, I and I understand for everyone out there listening, the hardest thing that I had to cut off and disassociate from was music, mm. because it it had infested in me that badly, I I couldn't let it go. It was so hard. Like I can probably let go of everything. I made an oath with myself. I'm letting go of everything, but that was the hardest. But I replaced it with something, and I remember. One of the, that same uh, person that was in the play, one of the people, he f- he heard a song that I had made. Someone had sent it to him. And I remember we were sitting down in you know the gathering of the boys, the, the new friends, and he literally pulls me aside and he puts me up on the wall. He goes, what are you doing? I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And he goes, bro, I heard your song. And then it was funny because he's like, it's pretty good, but why? Why are you using your God-given talent for the wrong, the wrong way, like completely opposite mm. of what you're supposed to be doing. I'm like, what am I supposed to be doing? And this is this is the biggest turning point. He said, "I have an idea." I'm like, what is it? He goes, "I have searched the internet high and low. I have never ever heard." And this is basically the foundation of what we've built, us boys. Um, when, when we're talking about the uh, eulogies, the mm. English eulogies, this was the foundation of it. He goes, I have an idea. I've searched and I could not find online, on YouTube or anywhere online, Dua Kumail in English, recited in English, not the ones like, oh, um, in the name of God, the beneficent. Yeah, yeah. You know, actual recitation like we recite it every Thursday. Like, you know what? That's a pretty good idea. And why I'm telling you my producer is a beautiful person is that I went to him. He's not that religious, you know, and I took that idea. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it. You know, changed the these and thys, wrote the script, went to that producer, and I got him, man, I want to do this. He goes, yeah. He goes, man, I want some some good deeds as well. Mm. He goes, would I get some? I'm like, of course you will. 
So yeah, I recorded it and just started pumping out CDs, sending them in the community. No one knew who I was. No one knew who was the, who the reciter was. It was just anonymous. And the first wave was like reverts. Mm. I remember. I remember a friend of mine was messing me. He's like, oh, "Man, there's people blogging and uh, on on in like Canada and UK and America, and then just start spreading, 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 and that's where it started. And then from Dua Kumar, we started doing other other duas, uh, supplications. Mm. Sorry, I'm supposed to translate in English everything that I say. Yeah, so other supplications in English, and then from that, it was reciting. Basically, Arabic mm. eulogies in um, centers, and that's where it led to. You know what? I'm going to use that same English idea of the supplications and use it in the eulogies. And use it in eulogies. So we combined basically the eulogies are like a little bit of Arabic to please the, the people that understand Arabic, and most in English. And it's just been like, Alhamdulillah, thank God, uh, it's 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 actually been a success for what the past six seven years now. That's um, so essentially the summarization. I can, I can pick out one point in your story when your mother told you, "Yeah, you suit that role." Yeah. That was like what sparked the thought, and like, okay, I need to change now. Yeah, man, I, and and the the thing that broke me the most is I didn't mention it, is my father. Mm. I remember someone he literally let it out to someone, and he was actually crying to that person because that person came and said, "Man." Your father's broken. I'm like, why? And I wasn't speaking to him at the time. Mind you, we lived next door to each other. But out of respect for him, I didn't want him to see me. So I try to avoid him in all instances. Out of respect to him so he doesn't get angry and I don't say something stupid in disrespect, you know? Mm. Because at the end of the day, he's my father no matter what. You know, we had we had a bit of differences. But yeah. At that point, I'm like, man, I need to seek redemption. I need to, because my dad used to, you know, he'd say my name. If someone says my name, he's like, oh, he's he's a loser. He's this, he's that. He'd put me down in front of people because he didn't want anything to do with me. He's like, oh, yeah, he's, he's, he's some some singer now and blah, blah, blah. I needed to change that. Before, like, mainly, obviously, in the eyes of God, I needed to change how I looked in the eyes of God. Mm-hmm. But as well, a big thing for me is my my parents. Because as I told you, I grew up in a you know loving environment. And I couldn't hack the fact that my father was, you know, disappointed in me. And then it broke me when I heard that he was telling someone, you know, what have I done to him? I've always done everything for him, you know. I used to take him everywhere. I used to do everything for him. I was never too harsh on him. And I was very loving and I wanted the best for him and this is what I get in return. That broke me. That's when I'm like, you know what? I have to just rise up in the eyes of my father. I have to make my father proud that when someone mentions my name or he mentions my name, he says it with a puffed out chest, head held, 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 held high, you know, and it started with the dark. And I came, I remember I came, I'm like, Dad, look what I did. And he goes, oh, yeah, what, is it another song? Mm. I'm like, no, no, no. He goes, oh, have you repented? So that's when it was uh, sort of like, oh, man, I still have to do more. Yeah, there's more. That's what people more. don't, a lot of people don't understand. Like, you know what, a lot of people, you know, these days they come and they say, oh, oh this person's, and they, they, they backbite and they talk, you know, crap about you. And like, You don't understand. You don't know the story. You don't know how hard I had to work all right, to be here. Mm. They don't understand, bro. Like I, 
why why would I, for example, when I first started, I'm sorry, I'm a bit, I'm going a bit, getting it's getting a bit rough here, but why back in the days when I first started, I'm like, you know what, I want to serve my community because I love my community that I'm getting trying to get into, mm. and so much that I want to serve them. Why am I staying up to one, two in the morning? writing something so you can understand it and then you throw it back in my face and, you know, stab me in the back or, you know, talk crap about me. I don't care at the end of the day. All I care is, you know, how God sees me. Mm. But still, like, you know. It's a low blow. Yeah, th- like don't don't come and, you know, talk about someone when you don't know the backstory of that person. Like, you don't, you don't know what this person has been through. You don't know how hard it's been, you know, to deliver something like that to you. Mm. For And mind you, I'm – Literally serving you. I'm your servant. Mm. And then you're with me. <laughs> Come on. But yeah, it's, it, people don't understand. Like That's why I, I've learned in, in my journey, I've learned, I learned never to look at someone like, you know, from on the, on the outside, outer appearance or, or appearance or what someone else says about them. Like, ah, oh, mm. this person, this. I, I want to know them. Mm. And you know what? I'm, I hope someone listens to this. Uh, especially the youth. So if they've experienced something like this or if they have, you know, a hard time um, dealing with things like that, and especially music, mm. man, I'm happy to sit down with them. I'm happy to talk to them. Look, at the end of the day, I've seen both sides of the spectrum. Yeah. So I've lived in that. You've experienced both. <laughs> all sides. I was speaking to an Asian friend of mine today and he's like, man, you're a very interesting person. I'm like, man, I'm so boring. He's like, no. I'm like, maybe the, int- the interest comes from like me living both sides. So I've lived the, you know, the Western. The heyday. The heyday. And I've lived this side of the spectrum. Mm. And that's why like I'm, I'm reaching out. You know, anyone that needs help, anyone wants to hang out. Like I'm pretty cool. Mm. I'm, I'm laid back. I'm not going to whip them. I'm not going to tell them, you know, you know, you've know, you sinned and you must be punished. Nah. I'm not like that because I've seen it. You've, seen you've experienced, it. experienced your own road to redemption. Yeah. Everyone has a road to redemption. And it depends how you want to, you know, get there. There's faster ways. Mm. And maybe I didn't have it because I didn't ask for it when it would have been easier if I, you know, just asked for some help. Yep. But I had to do it myself. It, t- it took me a while. I'm 34 now. I think people think I'm younger than that. Mm. It took it took a while, but you know we we got there. And this is what the youth don't understand. It's like we do these things so we can help them. You know, we I literally want to do what my father was trying to tell me. Yeah, but you I've, never took heed of it. I've been there. I've done it. It's a literally you're walking into a brick wall. So there's a there's a cliche saying that um, your past doesn't define you. So would you say that no, your past did define you? Yes, it did. Stimulate Your Mind is proudly presented to you by LOF Productions. For more of our podcast where we try to cover all the interesting topics happening all over the globe and also the personal stories of people right here in our own backyard. Subscribe to Stimulate Your Mind on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. See you guys in a little while.